Hello everyone, just a quick note before we start today's episode. This is actually part two of a two-part March episode. So if you missed part one, you might want to go back and listen to uh, episode two of Star Wars Bookworms, where we have a great interview with Alexander Freed. Our March episode went so long, we had to cut it in half. So if it seems like this episode starts in the middle of something, it does. It's actually starting right in the middle. So we pick up in this episode with the uh, discussions of Blood Ties, Volumes 1 and 2, and we still have our guest host, James Floyd, from Club Jade. So I hope you enjoy this part two of our very long March episode. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So our next one up is Star Wars Blood Ties, A Tale of Django and Boba Fett. The writer for this was Tom Taylor. The artist is Chris Scalf. The release date was May 18th of 2011. But we're reviewing it now because of the Volume 2 that came out, um, which we will get to in just a minute. The timeline for this is between 22 years before the Battle of Yavin and 2 years before the Battle of Yavin. And the synopsis is, Here begins a multi-generational tale of honor and redemption, starring two of the heaviest hitters in the Star Wars galaxy, the father and clone team of Jango and Boba Fett. A mission that begins with Jango Fett before the Clone Wars will affect the course of Boba Fett's life some 20 years into the future, where an impromptu assignment with the big payday from Count Dooku goes awry for Jango, Boba will be asked, or will be tasked, with picking up the pieces. So. Cool. What did you guys think of it? Well, let's kind of walk through this one a little bit. Um, cool. So the first issue starts out, it shows us with Bo Boba Fett is kind of in a, a situation, and he's remembering back to his childhood, and it starts out with Jango and Boba. And uh, Django's teaching his son a lesson, I guess you could say, by putting him into a very dangerous situation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a lesson most parents would uh, have for their kids. Um, but it, it's an important lesson in, in shaping Boba that, you know, basically Django throws him into, you know, the lair of a giant monster and says, hey, bring me a tooth of this monster. And then afterwards, you know, Boba's like, why the heck did I have to do that? And he's like, well, this is the most fearsome thing in the galaxy, you've now faced that, therefore you will never need to fear again, because you've already faced the worst thing ever. Definitely. It's a, yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic to see the, the parenting skills of Jango Fett. Definitely not the, the norm, but, <laughs> but Boba Fett, you know, he, he came back, you know, with the tooth, so he survived, and I guess Jango probably knew that he had those skills. Yeah, and we also see the dynamic that, you know, when, when Doku calls on Django for a mission, you know, he says, you know, anything you want to say to me, you can say in front of my son, because he's very clearly, you know, grooming Boba to follow in his footsteps as, you know, the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter. So, and the one thing I thought was interesting um, was Django, in this comic, I've noticed, they really, put, they really have him as a pretty ruthless character um, in the... I know in the film, at least, in, in Attack of the Clones, I always got this impression that he was, I don't know, like he definitely was a hardcore bounty hunter, but I never saw him as like a cold-blooded killer. I don't know why. Maybe 
that's the EU kind of rubbing off on me and kind of painting the Mandalorians in a certain light that they they have a lot of honor. So, but in this comic, they kind of show Jango Fett as a little bit more ruthless, and he actually just kind of kills these guys in the ship when they're asking for his clearance code or whatever, and he just kind of blows them away. <laughs> yeah, that seems kind of odd that, that he'd do that because, you know, that just would paint a target on him, but I guess, you know, that's, that's who he is. He doesn't have time for people getting in his way. Jango Fett as a character seems to be a little bit more like that than Boba Fett, though, to me, just from his portrayal in the films, you know, as well as his portrayal in the EU. He seems to be a little bit more on the the careless side. No, I can definitely see that. But, um, yeah, so we basically get Jango. He's out on a mission trying to collect this bounty, and he comes across uh, the person that he's trying to to take out ends up being a clone of himself, which I thought was a cool twist. It definitely, uh, I know, I remember when I was reading this comic for the first time, it kind of took me off, took me by surprise when this panel came up, and I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Yeah, just like we saw that there was a deserter in the Clone Wars you know, cartoon series, we have sort of a, a deserter here, and, and he's just made a life for himself, and, and Django is, is kind of like, oh, this is different, now what do I do? <laughs> Yeah, didn't we see, well, we saw two clones that had gone rogue in the Clone Wars, right? The one that deserted that was married and had a family, and then we saw the one that didn't remember who he was, right? Yeah, there was uh, Cut Lockwain, and then there was Gregor, who had the amnesia, but he right, seemed to get right, better. Right. So, yeah, so he, he basically, you know, kind of has a little bit of a dilemma here, but Jango Fett's all business, so he takes the guy out, even though he shares his face. And um, but then quickly realizes that uh, there's a, also a woman in the room with a baby. So and then we get the uh, I don't know at this point did they reveal that it's that it's the son of the I guess it's kind of implied it's the son of the clone. So obviously that means he is kind of a relative to Django. Yeah, that I, I think that uh, you know Django quickly realizes that especially I think that the, the baby even kind of looks at Django and says da. Like, hey, you're my dad. Yeah, he recognizes him. Um, and so Django, you know, is put into a big quandary here. He's like, you know, I'm not going to kill a baby, especially since I wasn't hired to. Um, but, you know, he's like, he, he does feel some sort of responsibility more than, you know, just of the, the child of any of his other types of targets. Yep. Which I think is sort of interesting, though, because if he didn't have the compassion to you know, not kill someone that was a clone of himself, why does he feel the compassion to not kill a baby who's a clone of himself? I guess when it comes to children, it changes a little bit, you know. It's much easier probably for someone, even if they're a trained killer, it's probably much easier to kill a grown per a grown man than a, than a defenseless, innocent child. Especially if, if, you know, he has this sense of code of the people he's killing, you know, are on his list for a reason, that they've done something wrong. Although sometimes it's just, you know, different bounties are just put on people because they're in the way of somebody who has money. True. Right, so we find out that the baby's name is Connor Freeman, and he is going to be playing an important part throughout the rest of these comics as well as the next volume. Um, but kind of jumping forward here a little bit, um, into the future. Now Bob, Boba Fett has now grown up and I believe we are now somewhere near the time of right before the Battle of Yavin. I guess a couple years before the Battle of Yavin. So 
Boba Fett is looking for a bounty, I guess, and kind of finds out about this Connor Freeman who has a bounty out on him and finds out that his dad, Django, has been supporting this, this kid, uh, which makes him a little bit curious to find out more, so he accepts the bounty on Connor Freeman. Yeah, but of course there's some other bounty hunters too that also are gunning for Connor Freeman, so, so Boba has to smack them around a bit. Yeah, which is which I loved those bounty hunters. Um, what do they call themselves? The League of Bounty Hunters or something like that? <laughs> just a generic league. Thing. Yeah, just yeah, very generic. We are the League of Bounty Hunters, which which uh, kind of goes against what we usually believe about bounty hunters. They typically work, you know, in small crews or maybe by themselves. But this was a large crew of bounty hunters all working together. Well, this is the second time we've seen something like that, though. If you if you think about the Clone Wars series, because they had those episodes where they had all the bounty hunters together, and Boba Fett was a part of that. Yeah, but even those crews on on Clone Wars were, you know, five, maybe five people. We're talking yeah. like I don't know how many are here. Maybe it's probably about ten. I think yeah, they're like all a dozen. Kind of, yeah. So I just thought it was funny the way they announced themselves. You know, we are yeah. the League of Bounty Hunters. You know, it's like it's something that he should be impressed by, but obviously Boba Fett, you know, is not. But we did get a cameo from Bosk. Yep, Bosk kind of walks in and says, hmm, the League of Bounty Hunters versus Boba Fett, my money's on Boba Fett, and then he walks away, and then you know, even Connor Freeman is like, really, you guys are called the League of Bounty Hunters, that's really lame, and it yes. just means that you have to split the bounty, and that usually means cutting down the number of people on your team. Yeah, I forgot that he called that out, yeah, so he was thinking the same thing we were thinking. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about Connor is that, you know, he basically says what he thinks, and, you know, he's, you know, as a clone of... of as a clone of a clone of, no, as the son of a clone of Django, he's, you know, a pretty sharp cookie, and, and you know, his wit is, is you know, right on, on track, and, and so he'll just say what he's thinking, and sometimes gets him into trouble, I'm sure, but um, it makes for a cool character. So basically, Boba Fett doesn't have too much trouble with the League, and uh, gets Connor out of there, and uh, ends up having a conversation with him, kind of just getting a little bit of the backstory, I guess, of, of who he is and why why Django was supporting him. Um, they end up getting into like a, a fist fight, and then there is a large explosion, and it looks like the League has caught up with them. Well, you know, they have this fight because they're, you know, this whole time Connor thought that this inheritance that he's been drawing on was left by his father, when it turns out, oh no, it was left by the man who killed his father, who happens to share his father's face. And so that, you know, really shakes him up a bit of like, the man who killed my dad has been secretly paying for me, you know, under my dad's name, essentially. Like, why was my dad giving you money? That would bit. be pretty weird. Yeah, it's definitely a weird dynamic with uh, with all these, these clones that are out in the galaxy because who knows how many other uh, of these half, you know, half-clone children are out there that all share Jango Fett's blood. So he, you would think that he'd come across his own face maybe more often. Yeah, you'd imagine at least, you know, by the time that Boba Fett becomes a, an active bounty hunter that he's, you know, killed his share of clones that just got in the way of missions and whatnot. But, uh, you know, this one obviously has a special connection because he's connected to his father. And, and you know, Boba is still probably working out some issues of, you know, trying to do what his father would think is the best thing to do. All right, so basically the League does catch up with them and uh, they end up taking, they actually think that they take Boba Fett out. They shot him. 
left him for dead and went back and reported reported back to their leader what was that guy's name Tayand Tayand the evil crime lord yeah the crime lord that that wants Connor alive to in order to to kill him <laughs> right then I like how Connor's like did you even check his pulse <laughs> you were too scared you know he's he's basically calling the guy out like I don't think I don't think you killed him yeah, and, and meanwhile, you know, Connor manages to, to whittle down the what's left of the League of Bounty Hunters to just the one guy, and he's like, I'm the League of Bounty Hunters, like, you're one guy now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he definitely he definitely didn't kill Boba Fett, and he just, like it says at the very end of the, the third issue of the comic, uh, he just made him very angry. So Boba Fett can get shot in the stomach and still live and come back for you. Well, it's the same thing as in World War Two. You just awakened a sleeping giant because now he's pissed. Yeah. So they get so yeah. to the uh, the lair of uh, Tayand and you know Tayand, you know Fett brings him in, basically stealing him off of the the front doorstep from the uh, other bounty hunter, and and Fett says, "Hey, pay up." And and then when you know Tayand says, "Okay, I'll I'll pay up. But I'm going to kill him," and then both Fett says, "Well." I'll just cancel his debt to you. That you know, it was really a gambling debt. And and then the uh, Tayand is like, well, no, I. It's not about that. It's about you know me getting vengeance. And and both that says, hmm, I'm not so sure about this anymore. Yeah, and he and I think Connor wasn't necessarily completely giving Boba Fett all the details on how much he really did owe, because in in the end, uh, Tayand says that he owes him half a million credits. But then uh, Boba Fett still says he'll pay it, which I think surprised Connor. It was a big surprise to Connor that, that somebody else out in the universe would stick their, anything out for him, especially the guy that he thought was bringing him into his own death. Um, and then, you know, in the end, Boba Fett realizes that this is a connection of some sort. After Connor kind of recovers his whistle a little bit, he says, you know, I'll... I'm I'm willing to put a contract out on Tayan for all the money I have, which is three credits. <laughs> and Boba Fett doesn't even hesitate. I accept. And then explosions. <laughs> yep. Everybody basically shoots each other. They but he uh he takes Tayan out and then they have to obviously escape, which uh means getting past the Rancor. Yep. And of course. Of course. It's Star Wars. Always Rancor. <laughs> but yeah, so and Boba Fett uses a, a trick that I think he he ends up using again later, where he um, attaches a jetpack to someone who doesn't necessarily want a jetpack attached to them and launches them into the Rancor's mouth. Did you guys <laughs> Did you guys like that bit of action, I, or did you think it was a little bit uh, a little too far fetched or a little too cheesy? I, I think it's pretty awesome. I think it fits in line with Boba Fett being able to improvise stuff and, and get away with it. Um, I think one of the, the, the strengths of this comic series is that Chris Galt is an amazing artist at this painted style, um, especially when it comes to creatures. So, you know, we have the Rancor, and at the end we have the, the big monster in the, the first issue um, that, that Chris really, you know, brings them to life. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, pairing up Tom Taylor and Chris Galf for uh, Blood Ties was, you know, a great match for this type of story. Yeah, he definitely has a unique art style 
that sometimes I don't necessarily like as much as traditional comic book art, um, but I do really enjoy just the 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 painted look to it and like some of the individual images are amazing for an entire comic series it's not as enjoyable for me but the one thing it does seem to do is it seems to kind of focus more on the images and less on the dialogue so it definitely makes these these issues a, a really quick read I know when I read through these it, I got through them much faster than I would a typical uh, trade paperback yeah definitely that that you know, this is a, a much more visual feast. So if you're, you know, you're always reading for the dialogue. I mean, you know, Boba Fett and Jango Fett, you know, both are, are not big talkers. So you have to let other people do the talking. But, um, you know, it, yeah, some of these, you know, paintings, because you look at it and you're like, wow, this is a painting. And you wonder how long it took to, to create the series, um, because every panel is, you know, another piece of art essentially I mean like looking at the details or just looking at, at you know the focus of it you know you definitely have to, to to read it more visually than just the words alone definitely and so at the end we get they successfully take out the rancor with the uh, the cool jetpack trick and then Boba Fett obviously you know he always collects as the comic says so he gets his three credits from Connor Three dollars, man. <laughs> and then and he, tooth. Yes, and then he collects. He he goes ahead and collects his tooth. A nice little callback to the uh, the beginning of the of the comic. Yeah, you know, somewhere aboard Slave One, there's a room filled with just really nasty, rotten teeth. <laughs> yeah, if Hondo didn't steal them. Right. Nice. <laughs> no, no, no. They've got to be preserved in jars, like with labels. Ew. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. All right. So the, the last panel of the comic, we get the the two, you know, we get the two guys walking their separate directions with their bounty. I guess you could say Connor. I think, you know, walked away with with the money, and Boba Fett got a tooth. So I don't I don't know who got the best end of that deal, but um, Boba Fett, come on. <laughs> well, I know Connor walked away from with his life, which is true. A plus from where he started. But one of the cool things is the framing device that we saw at the beginning of, you know, the first issue that, you know, the guy's talking about being surrounded by enemies. And then we see that replayed again and find out there's a little twist on that, you know, in, in, in the final confrontation. Definitely, yeah. And I like the, uh, the nice portrait of Django Fett kind of looking down on them. It's kind of cheesy, but I like it. I like well, again, it. I think it, it fits with the, this style of story is that these are both, you know, two men who are trying to make their way in the universe, living up to the legacy of, of their deceased fathers. And, you know, when, when you have a parent who's dead or something, that, that you know, how do you live up to the, their expectations? Because you never got to hear them when you were an adult. So that, that, that wraps up the first uh, volume of the Blood Ties comics, which was called A Tale of Django and Boba Fett. I really liked it. I thought it was a cool story, cool art, and um, it got a little cheesy at moments, but overall I really, anything that involves Boba Fett, I'm kind of, I'm a self-admitted fanboy of Boba Fett, so um, you put him in just about any story and I'm going to like it, so I did really like the story. Well, I'm the same as you. I was, I have had in plans for a while to get the Mandalorian logo tattooed on me, so. Wow, that's that's cool. I haven't done it yet, but probably will. 
I don't think my I don't think my wife would let me get away with that. How about you, James? Do you have any Star Wars tattoos? No, I don't have any Star Wars tattoos. Um, yeah, I, I don't even put stickers on my car. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm not a huge Fett fan, but I really like the way the story went, and I think it was because of the giving that connection between Django and Boba, and then also bringing in you know Connor as sort of a step brother cousin thing and 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 so it it it, you know creating that extra relationship i think really made the story and then you know i really enjoyed the art and so you know i'm I'm not a huge fet fan but i really enjoyed uh blood ties yeah i was wondering are you allowed to be a fet fan if you write stuff for club jade (laughs) (laughs) uh no comment All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next volume. We'll we'll try to get through this. We're going a little bit long here, so we'll try to maybe make a little bit better time on this one. But the title of this one is Boba Fett is Dead, which I kind of had a little bit of an issue with, considering the timeline placement of it. It's kind of, um, if you follow the expanded universe at all, it was kind of obvious to me that Boba Fett really wasn't dead. Well, when this one first came out, they kind of fudged where it, it, it was going to be in the timeline, so you didn't really know that, that this could be Boba Fett is dead, because they, they kind of lied about where it was in the timeline, or they, they misled you. Right, yeah. I think based on, because I knew Connor was the son of a clone, I knew that where it kind of had to fall. We know Boba Fett is still alive well into the future, you know, into the uh, the Fate of the Jedi novels. So in order for him to be dead at this point, it wouldn't make any sense. So I guess I was kind of doing the math there and figuring it out before they ever gave us the official date. Ah, well, there's always, you know, hey, Boba Fett you've known and loved has actually been swapped this whole time by Connor Freeman. Yeah, that's true. They, It's not like they've never done that before, right? In comics? <laughs> <laughs> Or even in the Young Jedi Knights books, or was that a retcon? Oh, that oh, thing. we <laughs> going back to the YJK and the Boba Fett and that, and then also the the Emperor being uh, reborn is like, oh no, there's no Emperor in there. <laughs> All right, well, we won't get too far off the we we won't get too far into that rabbit trail, but um, so basically they're trying to make us think Boba Fett's dead. They give us some scenes here at the front of the comic where you have a bunch of bounty hunters standing around his dead body with a nice uh, large hole in his face mask, which which you would think would definitely indicate that the man is dead. And yeah, then, a sucking face wound or a sucking gut wound usually is an indicator of death, but in Boba Fett's case, maybe not. And, and then um, all of a sudden some of the, the people that are part of that squad that killed Fett start dying mysteriously. Um, and uh, Morgan, or not Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Connor Freeman gets uh, blamed because his ID is used um, in relation to one of the, the killings of a, of a uh, stormtrooper who got fed to his own dewback. And again, that's you know that amazing creature artwork by Chris Scal. Yeah. But you know, that makes Connor a target now that uh, people are gunning for him because they think he's the one that's killing off Fett's killers. Yeah, I haven't read the... Uh... Is there like an essential guide on creatures or or something like that? Because I didn't know that dewbacks were carnivorous. I didn't either. But now I know. Mm. Well, or this one was just really pissed off because you know it had been abused by this one 
stormtrooper, so maybe it just mauled him a bit and chewed on his face. Right. Which is all very interesting. So, so let's fast forward a little bit. We have um, Connor Freeman is back in his bar with his friend Quinny, which um, who happens to be, what is the species with the the forearms? I'm drawing oh, a blank it, now. It's the same as as Kenobi's friend, right? And, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank too. But yeah, so I thought it was kind of interesting that they used this character who looked a lot like Dexter in a very similar role as Dexter plays. Um, almost in a way, he almost looks just like him. So, but yeah, so the the stormtrooper comes in with his cool blue armor with the stripe on the eye, and he arrests Connor. But um, I think we know at this point that that is probably Boba Fett. Yeah, especially since somebody else comes in and blows up the entire bar. But luckily, uh, Connor and the Stormtrooper and Quinny make it out 85% yes. in one piece? Yeah, we don't, we don't find out until the next issue. They definitely left us hanging. So if you were reading the comics um, as the issues came out, they, they left you hanging. And I think that even the last page of that comic says Connor Freeman is dead. So they're trying yeah, to make, it did. They're trying to make us think that he's dead now too, so um but we quickly find out when we get the next issue um that Connor didn't die but he did lose his right arm. Yep. Um by the way, Dexter and uh Quinny are a basilisk. Ah, yes. Basilisk. Which sort of sounds like basilisk from Harry Potter, but Anyway. Uh, Baffles go back further than that, but well, I know, but okay. little little cameo that we see, um, you know, when he gets a robotic arm is we see Doctor Evazon um, from the mm -hmm. Cantina, so we know that oh, this takes place before Evazon's uh, demise at some point. Yes, I thought that was kind of a cool cameo. I, I don't know that much about his story, at least in the EU, so I, I'm I'm sure there he's been fleshed out, um, but I wasn't too aware of his story, so. Seeing him here, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool to see him. And it made me want to go read his Wikipedia article to, to get caught up on where he's supposed to be in the galaxy right now. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. But did that surprise you guys that they uh, they took his arm? Um, no, because in Star Wars, it seemed to always take people's arms. But so. this time with, with this time it wasn't cauterized with a lightsaber, so it was a little bit more Yeah, cool. a, a, a non-lightsaber non um, delimbing, that's, that's a little more unusual for what we get. That is true. Sure. So Connor's not too happy about losing his arm, but he does find out that Quinny's still alive, so I think that that makes him a little bit, or that calms him down a little bit. But then he gets kind of the backstory from Boba Fett on how he survived. So we mm -hmm. find out that Boba Fett was actually in the Stormtrooper armor, and he did face off against these bounty hunters, but using that same trick that he used at the end of last comic, he attaches a jetpack, this, in this case, to a dead body, and shoots it up into the air, and uh, the bounty hunters, who all are very good shots, because I don't think any of them missed, take out the dead body and think that they have taken out Boba Fett. So the mystery is solved. Yep, but unfortunately for, for the galaxy, it means that officially Boba Fett is dead, and officially Connor Freeman is dead, which means that they got to get some new lives. And we also you know see the bad guy... In this one earlier, that that you know who's who's um, kind of spinning the wheels here, and it you know it's a, a powerful 
man with his spy master who's been tracking down the fact that, hey, somebody's killing off all these people that we hired to kill Boba Fett. Hopefully this won't lead back to us. But And, uh, and I think it, at this point they haven't even revealed who this guy is, right? They haven't even given mm -hmm. us a name. Nope, no name, but we do know that he wants to wipe out every connection that Fett ever had. So that's why they, they tried to blow up Connor Freeman and his bar. And and if when you read both uh, you know, Boba Fett is Dead and the, the Django and Boba Tell, you realize that it's the same bar that Quinny used to own, but then um, Connor bought it in between with the reward money. So that way he can actually live at the bar since he sleeps there anyway, you know, sleeping off his hangovers. Yeah, you would think he would have maybe learned, like after that first brush with death in the first comic, that he may have, may have straightened up a little bit, but I guess not. Right. And so then they uh, they head over to Conquer Dawn after all of this happens. Which is a, a Mandalorian world. Um, if I'm remembering my Mandalorian stuff correctly, that's not necessarily the home world of Mandalore, but it is a one of their colonies, is that right? Yeah, and I think that, that the continuity on, on that is still very flexible because of, of the, you know, Concord Dawn, I think, was the main Mandalorian planet for a while, especially you know, even going back to the Marvel era. Um, and so now it's kind of been retconned. It's like, a, you know, there was that moon Concordia that we saw in the Clone Wars, so, you know, Concord Dawn may be a settlement from people from, you know, Concordia, or maybe it's just another name. Yeah, right. I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't... I was almost expecting them to retcon it in this comic and actually call it Concordia, but uh, they didn't do that. Right. So they head to Concord Dawn because Boba Fett is telling Connor that he wants him to help protect a bounty hunter there by the name of Sintas Fell. And Connor doesn't understand why, if this moon is so safe, why does a bounty hunter need protection? And I think if you have read, if you're familiar at all with the EU, especially in the Legacy era, then you kind of know who this character is. Um, as soon as I saw the name, I was like, oh, I know who that is. Um, yeah. did, did you guys pick up on that, or are you familiar at all with the Legacy novels? I'm not familiar with the Legacy novels, but I am familiar with the characters just because I have done some research into Boba Fett. Because, as you guys know, I haven't read a lot of the um, kind of post-Return of the Jedi stuff or anything, really, on that side of it. But I'd done some Boba Fett research, and so I know who this character is. And so when I saw the name, I was very excited to read it. Yeah, I was excited, too, when, when, when he announced that you're going to, you know, I want you to take care of Sintasville, and, oh, by the way, don't mention my name. Which I find interesting, too. So, but, oh, well, I was going to say that, it, you know, it, it again goes to that depth of like, hey, we have these characters and you know, the, we learn more about Boba Fett by these other characters kind of trying to figure him out. Right. And so then Connor goes to his favorite place, as we know would be a bar, <laughs> and he gets told that he can't sleep there, which I just found was really funny. <laughs> It's Seems also a, a little cameo the, the, the first thing where we see him in a bar and he's told he can't sleep there. He's like, I am sleeping here. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I like about Tom Taylor's comics. He definitely puts in a lot of humor, but it, it's usually 
it's usually appropriate and not overdone, and I and I really like that. Yeah, for sure. But uh, so Boba Fett has gone on to do his own thing here. He goes off into to go to an imperial base, and uh, decides to take out the the tower there that's trying to <laughs> trying to uh, scan him, I guess, or trying to stop him from docking where he wants to dock. Well, it's keeping him from docking where he wants to dock, and it creates a, a pretty good diversion for him to, to sneak into the base unannounced and try and find the uh, commando leader that had been part of the, the hit job against him. Uh, yes, I was, I was kind of forgetting why he was going to the base, but yeah, now I remember. He still yeah, has he, unfinished business. Yeah, he's still crossing off names off of that list, and he, he, you know, while he's still trying to also figure out who hired, him in the, you know, who hired these people in the first place, and he, he has a little brush in with Vader, but manages to, to walk away with it out his cover being blown since he's you know still dressed up as a stormtrooper. But uh, you know, his his target there sees right through his stormtrooper armor and says, Nope, I know who you really are and I'm in a room filled with a whole bunch of commandos. We can take you. Right. And um so before we get to that though, we do get the the very end of that issue before they move on to the next one is when Connor he thinks that he meets Sintas but then it's not actually her it's actually Sintas's daughter Aelin Aelin which yeah. if you once again if you're familiar with the legacy novels I kinda got sad when I saw her here she's a cute little kid and definitely good things don't happen to her in the end aww <laughs> spoil it for everyone gosh <laughs> Hey, no, legacy, legacy novels have been out a while. I'm just joking. <laughs> she's, she's definitely a cute kid, and the artwork for her was fabulous. And then how did you... I was kind of curious what you thought, Teresa, about when they do reveal Sintas. How did you think about that character? Did you, you think uh, they were maybe over-sexualizing her a little bit, or were you okay with the, the outfit that they chose for this, this character? So I'm probably going to get flamed here by female fans, but I do not have a problem with the over-sexualization of female characters in video games and comic books. It doesn't bother me one tiny bit. Um, I think there's something to be said for the female form, and if you've got it, flaunt it. It's kind of what, you know, goes through my head. So, you know... I mean, they roughed her up a little bit. Her hair's all over the place. It's not like she's got perfect hair. But I just don't have a problem with it. You know, it's actually kind of appealing to me. So, you know, but I know a lot of female fans don't feel that way, and they like for people to be covered up and all that kind of stuff. Like, people had issues with Ahsoka's outfit and everything. But it, those are the things that don't bother me at all. I don't even notice them, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was just curious to to hear what you you had to say about it from from the female perspective. Well, you know, it's just one of those things. I know it's a, I know they do it, and maybe it started, you know, to appeal to men and that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that whether female fans want to admit it or not, and not all of them, obviously, but it just you know, and it appeals to some women as well. Because I can admit when another female is good looking and attractive and if they have a good body or not. And if you're gonna make a female character and you want to show off that she's an attractive female character and you choose to do it that way, then 
good for you. Just also show that she has some brains and some brawn at the same time. Which they did. True. Cool. All right. So basically, Boba, if we move on to the next issue here, Boba Fett does have a little bit of a run-in at the uh, at the Imperial Station here, with, and he sees Darth Vader. Nice little cameo there. And Darth Vader doesn't doesn't find him out. He just kind of walks by. So it was almost a little bit of a needless cameo, but I guess any way to get Darth Vader into a comic. Yeah, and you know Darth Vader's under, understandably distracted because somebody just crashed a, a ship into the control tower of this base. Um, but yeah, what are the, the chances that Vader happened to be at this one base at this time? Um, but you know, I mean, the, the key thing is that that Fett moves on, takes out the, the the commando leader after you know getting a little bit more information. Uh, he does have a very novel way of escaping from that situation uh, when there's a big explosion. Is he pretends to be one of the wounded, and since he's in stormtrooper armor, he can kind of get away with that. And then you know, as they're hauling him and the commando leader off to the the medical um, section, you know, he then hey wakes up grabs his guy, you know, picks out the rest of the troopers and, and moves on with his day. Yeah, in very Boba Fett fashion. So, and while yep. he's doing that, we have Connor back at the uh, the homestead there on uh, Concord Dawn with um, with Sintas and, and her daughter. And he's helping them fight off some of these other uh, bounty hunters that have been sent to, to kill them. Yep. yep. And, and uh, we find out that, you know, Raising your children to be bounty hunters kind of runs in the family. That that Aelin is no slouch when when it comes to dealing with trouble. Definitely, I love the line that Senta says when Connor suggests that she go protect her daughter, and she says, "My daughter doesn't need a lot of protection." I was like, "Yes, little kids that are girls can do really awesome stuff." And blow up speeders with an ion cannon. Yes, and. And who knew that uh, Deveronians came in purple and green? I always thought they were just red. There are many colors to the universe. Yeah, it's like Twi'leks. Yeah. I actually, because of that, I was nerdy enough to look it up on uh, on uh, Wikipedia, and I was like, I wonder what it will say here. And it, does, it says that their skin color is typically of a red shade. So I guess somebody needs to edit that. Because <laughs> green is not a red shade. But, um... So basically, <laughs> basically um, Connor um, now knows that they're kind of in trouble, so they hunker down. In his, while he's staying at their house, he kind of comes across this hollow projector of an image that shows uh, Boba Fett with his family, which is kind of odd because he's still wearing his full armor and helmet, so I don't know who takes a portrait wearing a helmet, but Boba Fett apparently does. I think we've seen in other sources that Boba Fett views the helmet as his face, that that, that is the face that he presents to the world. True, true. And um, and it's interesting, this image, and I could be wrong here, but it seems like the image that he finds, I almost, I'm almost positive this is from another source. Well, yeah, the the, the original um, origin of, of Sintas and, and Aelin comes from, I think, Star Wars Tales. It was originally non-canon, and I think it was made into canon that, that um, you know, there was a big secret that that uh, Sintas had, that, you know, she had had a daughter with, with Bo as 
she called them and um, you know and so both that obviously has to protect this because you know it is a loose end for anyone trying to go after him to go after his family so it's something not many people know about and then you know it eventually was made canon I think uh, actually Karen Travis helped push for that um, when you know bringing Aelin back and bringing the events of that comic you know, to become canon. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I also, go ahead, Teresa. Go ahead. Okay. I also just want to point out really quick just the, the scenes between Connor and Aelin and her bedtime story because I just thought it was a really sweet touch to have that interaction between the two of them and to see a little bit more of what Aelin was really like. And then, of course, her bedtime story monster is Rancor. Yeah. <laughs> I like how they portray her. She's an intelligent little girl. And they, yeah, and, they, and and it also gives that sense, you know, Tom Taylor using humor in, in you know, ways that fit the story. Right. Yep. So they, they're not there too long, and then all then the um, the guy who is after Boba Fett, which I still, have they, they have revealed that at this point, right? Mm, that he's no. The, that he's the it, governor? They reveal that in the fourth issue, I think, don't they? Well, I think they reveal it in the third, and but you find out his motivation in the end. Right. Okay. So, so basically, we find out that the governor of Concord, Dawn, um, is the guy who's at, out to kill Fett. Not only just Fett, but his entire family or anyone that he um, is related to. They go to the home and and attack them. Throw some grenades down there, and um, who who shows up to save the day? But Boba Fett in the Slave One. Ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett takes care of the guys outside, and and there's a. I think one of my favorite scenes is on the rooftop that you know Tay Chan, the uh, spy master for the governor, you know sneaks up on Boba Fett, and Boba Fett just kind of turns around and says, you know, you have all these secrets about me, you know who I am, you you know you're not walking away from this unless I choose to let you walk away from this. You want to just work for me? And yeah. she's like, crap, you're right. I'm gonna work for you. Yeah, I love that scene because he's kind of just like, you know, seriously, you think you can beat me? Like, I he let me read here. It says, "Do you seriously think there's any way you can win this fight?" Is what he he says to her, and she just puts her head down and says, "No, none whatsoever." So yeah, yeah. and she realizes that her boss is not long for this world either. So it's like I'm not even really betraying him since he's going to be dead in you know two pages. Yeah, <laughs> right. So Boba Fett heads down to the house, and we get to see Connor and Sintas uh, both suited up in some Mandalorian armor, which is kind of cool. And, yeah. and they get to confront uh, the governor, and you know, then, then we find out why, why the governor's been after wiping out Fett and his family. And then you know, Sintas says, oh, okay, well, let me tell you the whole story here. Yeah, but then we never find out what the rest of that story is. It's just a panel of her whispering it in his ear, and it must be really bad. But I want to know what it is. Well, I, I think you can kind of extrapolate, you know, something, you know, obviously, I guess we'll, we'll just spoil the ending here a little bit, that, that the governor is mad at Fett for killing his son back in the days when uh, uh, Boba Fett was a journeyman protector on, on Concord Don, you know, calling way back to, like, the Dark Empire comics where they mentioned that. Um... And but at the same time, you know, the governor's son, you know, did something really, really horrible to Sintas, who is Boba Fett's wife, and you know, Boba Fett wasn't going to stand for that, and you know, killed a man 
probably just in cold blood because of that and has, you know, had to be on the run ever since. And even though the governor, you know, he may have not known that before that his son did that did a horrible thing, but now he's finding out about it, but he he still says, I don't care, I still want you dead. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to him. He he is so bent on revenge at this point. It doesn't matter, you know, that he finds out, you know, bad things about his son. Right. And he's willing to defend his son, and you know, he tries to attack one last time, and you know, don't don't attack two fully uh, armored Mandalorians. Yeah, didn't end too well for him. And then we get the the scene that Connor and Sintas kiss. But they're going to get space worms. <laughs> we'll get space worms, but if it, if in that scene, you know, Boba Fett, who's walked into the, the, the safe house now, you know, taking out some more of the guards above, looks down and sees them, and he just walks away. Yeah, and I thought it was, that was kind of an awkward scene for for me. I don't know why, but just the fact that it was Boba Fett's, like, I don't even know what you would call Connor in relation to Boba Fett, but they are related in a way. And so it was kind of like when I saw them kiss, I was just like, hey, you shouldn't. That'd be like somebody, you know, your brother, you know, kissing your ex-wife. I don't know. It was just, it was a little weird to me. I think it was supposed to be a little weird, but at the same time it shows that, you know, Sintas has moved on, that, you know, yes, you remind me of both, but you might look like him a little bit, but, you know, I'm my own person. I'm a grown-up. I might get space worms, as Aelin keeps pointing out. But uh, at the end, you know, it's like, no, you're not going to be my boyfriend or anything. You know, there's a reason Boba Fett is my ex-husband. I don't need, you know, someone of his kind here that, that you know. That, that, right. That, so, and I, I think that that shows the strength of her character is that she's just not going to give in to, hey, this is a handsome guy that reminds me of my ex-husband. I'm going to fall in love with him. It's like, no. You know, a kiss is good, but you're out the door, buddy. Yeah. But she also points out for him to make sure to relay that information to Boba Fett when she sees him, or when Connor sees him, which I thought was sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. basically saying that, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're, there, there's a reason that we're still split still. And so then it moves on, and we're coming to the very end of the comic, and they, Boba Fett and Connor have a little bit of a, a talk at the end, and Connor hands Boba Fett a tooth, which ends up being the uh, governor's tooth, which is even nastier than a Rancor's tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. They, they He gives that, but they also just have this, their last little scene is, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Aelin, yeah, I got to see your daughter. She has our eyes, like, recognizing that, you know, hey, we are related. And it's like, yeah, I'm kind of her uncle in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. This is the end of the story for Connor. Um, as far as I know, we haven't seen him pop up anywhere else um, in the EU. So it'll be interesting to see if we ever see anything else from him. If they try to tie him in, in into any other materials, or if this might be just kind of a one-off story for him, and we never hear from him again. Well, I I, I think that if Tom Taylor comes back to do stuff uh, in the Blood Ties line, or you know other Star Wars stuff, I'm sure he'll, he'll find a way to bring Connor back, because I think he liked um, the character of Connor, you know, introducing them, and then, you know, having somebody who is smart like 
Boba Fett, but is a little bit more witty and not quite as much the warrior that, you know, he's a drunk. Right, yeah, he's he's kind of, yeah, right, he, he, he resembles Boba Fett, might have some skills. You know, they did show in the comic that he did the little no-look over-the-shoulder shot at the bar and killed that guy. So he's definitely got some of the, the Boba Fett blood, but yeah, like you said, he's a little bit more of a slacker. So, yeah. yeah. Well, It'll be interesting. Our, uh, let's get to our recommendations and how we felt about it overall. Uh, Aaron, you want to go first? Sure. I did um, I did really like this comic. I liked both volumes. It's a really cool kind of standalone story. I think it's if you do read Volume 2, if you're planning on reading Volume 2, which is the Boba Fett is dead, I think it is important that you go back and read the other one first. Um, so you're not kind of lost in the second one. Like, who is this Connor Freeman guy, and why is he important? Um, but, yeah, I really like the story overall. Uh, quick read, so if you're looking for a, a trade paperback to pick up that isn't going to take you all night to read, you know, this is the one to get. Um, a lot of really great art and uh, a nice, cool little short story. So, yeah, I definitely recommend it. And James, what about you? Um, I, I also recommend it, and like Aaron said, that uh, you know if you're going to pick this up, go ahead and pick up both volumes just so that they, they fit together really well, that you know introducing Connor um, and also introducing some of the other elements. Uh, but you know, Boba Fett is dead, I think you know it was, it was a great story, and we really get to see more of the dynamic of um, you know Boba and his family. You know, he's, he's estranged from them, but he's still looking out for them. Um, you know, I, I would love to see more Connor Freeman. I'd love to see Boba Fett and Tae Chan, you know, now that Tae Chan is on his payroll, essentially, um, you know, what options, you know, does, does she basically kind of work in the background to get help him get jobs or, or do other things as well? Um, and I, I know that the uh, the first volume uh, won an award, an Excel, ex, the Excelsior Award, I think, which was uh, for, um, like, graphic novels for school-age children, and so I think that was a, a big thing for Tom Taylor. Um, and I, I really enjoy his style that he brings to the characters and to um, especially injecting humor, And because I think humor is a really big part of the Star Wars universe that you know, some authors, some writers of the comics don't quite get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... As for me, um, I really liked it as well. I definitely would recommend it. I don't think there's anything else I can say other than what you guys have said already. Um, other than I really like the introduction of Centos and Aelin, So, So on next month's show, we're going to be reviewing the comic Clone Wars Defenders of the Lost Temple. And we're going to be getting our first, I guess, true novel that's come out since we started the show, The Last Jedi. So, pretty excited for that. Um, James, where can people find you on the Internet? On the Internet, as opposed to sitting in a chair in my house. Um, <laughs> uh, I can be found, uh, I write as Jawa James for ClubJade.net, and I handle a lot of the Clone Wars and comic stuff, as well as uh, if you follow the This Is Madness uh, thing on StarWars.com, I was the leader of Team Hondo. Um, <laughs> and you and you lost. Let's not talk about that. He's <laughs> still upset, and I think he's still sleeping it off. Um, but uh, actually, he he's very excited because he's gotten more votes or a higher percentage of the vote as the as a non-winning 
first bracket member than any other non-winner, um, including he he got more votes than Qui-Gon Jinn did against Obi-Wan. So he, he, he considers that a victory in itself. Um, I also, again, write uh, comic reviews for uh, Big Shiny Robot under the name Gonk. Everyone there is, has, has got a droid name. Um, and you can find me on Twitter as uh, James Jawa. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. Um, and if you're looking for Aaron or myself, you can find me on Twitter at IceColdPenguin. And Aaron is at AVGoins, G-O-I-N-S. The Twitter for the show is at SWBookworms, and we always encourage you guys to send us an email if you have any suggestions or if you even want to be part of the show. The email is StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. Oh, and Teresa, I did want to say kind of a thank you to the people that have listened to us so far. Um, we, we're really happy with the feedback that we've gotten. We've already gotten a lot of emails uh, with feedback. Um, we've also, you know, we've had a great following on Twitter and Facebook, so thank you, and we really encourage you guys to, you know, go on the Facebook page and, and talk to us. We'll, we'll put different discussion topics out there from time to time, uh, but we like the interaction, so, you know, keep it up, keep sending us emails, and keep, you know, going on Twitter and Facebook and, and, and interacting with us. Yeah, definitely. Like Aaron said, we really would like to say thank you to everyone who has become a fan of the show. Um, we're pretty blown away by the positive reaction that we got, and we're glad that we're bringing you guys something that you actually want to listen to. So on to add to that, if you are listening to this show and you are listening to it on iTunes, please go over to the iTunes page and leave us a rating and a review. All the ratings and reviews help us go up in the iTunes catalog so that it's easier um, for us to be found and so we can help spread the word to other Star Wars EU fans. And thanks again, James, for coming on. It was a great time talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I had a great time. I'm you know, always around to talk comics and uh, the novels. I, I try and keep up to date, and I hope that uh, we get more people interested. And uh, see you at the conventions. Definitely. We'll, hopefully we'll have you on again. All right. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this second episode of Star Wars Bookworms. And I hope everybody has a great day. Yep. May the Force be with you.